0: Stop the Pigeon by Robert Perry and Mike Tucker For an hour and a half, Joe Dakin had been stuck on the train, sweltering in the carriage He looked at his watch, nearly 10.30 He was late for work Suddenly there was a buzzing A wasp landed on him Motionless, he waited for the beast to sting. The buzzing was loud. It didn't seem to be coming from the insect at all. It was inside Joe's head. His vision blurred, and he felt himself falling forward as the train lurched. There was a sharp crack and light. He was moving. The momentum of the train carried him forward. But there was no train. He crashed to the floor, skidding to a halt. Slowly, he opened his eyes and looked up. He was inside. In a house. He could see wood-panelled walls, shuttered windows. He stayed motionless. What the hell was going on? An old woman was shuffling along the corridor ahead of him. Um, excuse me, but where am I? One minute I was on the train, and the next he tailed off. The situation was ludicrous. Joe followed the woman into a room full of people. Old people. None of them could be under 80. Slowly and painfully, they all turned and twisted to look at him in silence. As they stared at him with terrible, anguished eyes, he felt a sudden surge of panic and fled down the dark corridors. Panting and breathless, He leaned against one of the panel doors and rested his forehead on the cool wood. Immediately he pulled away. The door was humming, vibrating. He reached out for the handle. There was a sharp crack and light. Professor, are you done exploring yet? asked Ace. The TARDIS had landed about 20 minutes ago in a deserted housing development and the Doctor had insisted on going out. He'd had a feeling. He was dressed in his dark jacket, check trousers and that bloody pullover despite the heat. Ace couldn't see what could interest him here but then she reminded herself it's just when things look normal that all hell tends to break loose. Joe jerked awake to find he was in his bedroom, on his bed. Thank God it had just been a dream. Except he looked down at himself. He was still fully dressed and in his hand was today's tube ticket. He staggered out of the bedroom. Everything in his house seemed normal. Then suddenly he realised that someone was singing in his front room.
1: My old man said follow the man
0: An atrocious Cod Cockney squawking, barely in tune, was floating down the landing from the other end of the flat. In disbelief, he pushed open the door to his lounge. The room was a mess. Papers were lying everywhere and everything was covered in... What was that white stuff?
1: Oh dear, oh dear. Bit of a mess, eh, Gavner?
0: There was a sound of collapsing books and of flapping. Instinctively, Joe raised his hands to protect his face. A pigeon was flying straight at him. All right, all right, I won't hurt you. It was the pigeon. The pigeon was talking to him. In a panic, Joe ran for the back door. A man and a girl were walking past outside. The young man took Ace by surprise as he shook her by the shoulders and sent the doctor sprawling. You've got to help me, he gasped. The doctor was about to come to her aid when a pigeon flew out of the house and began to swoop around them. Temporal anomalies, it squawked.
1: Just when you think you've got them sussed, they turn up again. Oh well, second time, Lucky.
0: There was a sharp crack and a flash of light. When the light faded, Joe and Ace were gone. The usual hush descended on the studio as the TV programme began. Good morning, it's the 15th of August, 2077, and you're watching Breakfast with Channel 7. I'm Nick. And I'm Tasmin Henderson. With us today we have Dr Howard Chithros, who last week revolutionised our ideas about old age by proving that his new technique to roll back the years really does work. For the next 20 minutes... Chithros charmed interviewers and audience with his suave and educated manner, discussing his technique without actually revealing anything. The last 50 years have seen a huge increase in the elderly population. People are living well into their 90s, their hundreds and beyond. State homes are costing the taxpayer millions. My technique will allow those aged, pathetic drains on our society to be reintegrated as vibrant young members of the workforce he leaned back in his chair steepling his fingers my process is not cosmetics for the ultra-rich it is a social and economic miracle for all but really dr chithros isn't this just a publicity stunt chithros's face was all innocence genetic tests bear me out the babies you have seen are the same octogenarians who came in What other explanation would you have? A time travel? Chithros smiled. It was like the smile of a big cat. The smile of a predator. The pigeon settled onto a rock and regarded the doctor solemnly as he stamped about. Don't
1: get yourself into a tizzy. What's done is done!
0: The doctor bent down, his nose inches from the pigeon's beak. And have you any idea of what it is that you have done? My job? So there, who are you to disagree? The doctor reached behind the pigeon's neck feathers and produced a business card with an elegant embossed design on it. He placed it on the ground. The pigeon looked at the card, cocking its head on one side.
1: Oh, bugger.
0: Chithros slid into the back of his limousine. Pathetic infantile poltroons, all of them, Chithros snarled. This entire publicity campaign, he spat the words at his chauffeur, is regrettable but necessary. Drive, Garth. Get me back to the house. The drive went slowly and Garth tried to ignore the guttural snarls emanating more and more frequently from the seat behind him. When they eventually pulled up at the sprawling old mansion house in Surrey, Chithros clawed his way out of the car and through the door. Garth watched as the hunched, barely human form of his employer vanished into the shadows. Ace recovered quite quickly from the shock of her new surroundings and looked around. Dark wood, shuttered windows. She took a step and a floorboard groaned in protest. A spooky old house at her feet was the young man just coming round you alright she asked who are you Joe he looked at her pleadingly tell me what the hell's going on please Joe explained about his earlier encounter with the house and its aged occupants Ace decided that if they were going to get back then they'd better start sussing out what had happened could you find your way back to that humming door she asked the two of them padded through the cool and gloomy corridors. The doctor sat cross-legged in the attic of Joe's flat, tinkering with a small, intricate piece of equipment on the floor in front of him and occasionally shooting a venomous glance at the pigeon. Vergoans, a race of shape-shifting, biomechanical symbiotes with an obsession for temporal tidiness. The Vagoans were excellent at discovering temporal anomalies and always tried to fix them, badly but with unbounded enthusiasm. The doctor sighed, the temporal equivalent of cowboy builders. The pigeon had followed him back to the flat where he had made himself a cup of tea and demanded an explanation.
1: We're a survey team. We detected an anomaly here on Earth and came to investigate. We? We, I... Don't forget, I'm a Virgoan. Ship, pilot, probe There are three of me What well, us It can get confusing at times
0: I know the problem, said the Doctor There are thirteen of me You're the probe, I take it Yes And you decided that assuming the form of a talking pigeon Would be nicely inconspicuous I was one of those little wasp things to begin with But people kept trying
1: to swipe me with newspapers This is much better
0: They'd eventually found dozens of small-scale anomalies here, the pigeon explained. Not much on the temporal scheme of things, just a few individuals displaced by 80 years or so. Joe had been the first of the anomalies to be fixed.
1: Is this Gubbins?
0: The pigeon nodded at the instrument at the doctor's feet.
1: Time anchor. Holds a subject in a state of temporal stability. Fixes him in one time period.
0: The tachyon field... I know how a time anchor works, thank you. The Doctor's voice was icy, but I can't seem to activate this one. Course not. I'm jamming it. Well, kindly unjam it. No. The Doctor closed his eyes and took a deep breath. Look, the girl that you transported belongs in this time period. By keeping her in the future, you're creating another anomaly. The pigeon scratched its head.
1: Temporal paradoxes were never my strong point. I was never good on theory.
0: The doctor suppressed an urge to throttle the little probe. Then perhaps you'd better introduce me to a member of your crew who is... Ah, the pigeon looked bashful. What do you mean, ah? asked the doctor.
1: Perhaps I'd better just show you.
0: The doctor stood in the middle of a small park, looking in despair at the tangle of vegetable, animal and mineral that had once been the rest of the Vagoan symbiote. Trees crowded around the egg-shaped hull of the ship, their branches plunging through the fuselage. The whole thing seemed to writhe and ripple. Inside, the doctor could see the pilot, motionless, rooted, quite literally, to his seat. What on earth have you three been doing? The pigeon fluttered onto his hat.
1: We detected an anomaly on Melandra 4, landed to have a quick shifty and discovered that Melandra 4 is in the midst of a major crinoid infestation full of intelligent carnivorous
0: plants. The doctor covered his face with his hands.
1: Yeah, got infected as soon as we landed. Auto repair kicked in immediately but every time we tried to shape shift the crinoid part fights back.
0: The probe sighed. The Doctor crossed to the tangle of machine and plant. He could see the surface shimmer as the battle for dominance raged at a cellular level. Mutation was met by countermutation. symbiote cells being changed to crinoid cells and back again. The creature was using all its energy for the battle. He was amazed that the symbiote had ever made it from Melandra 4 to Earth. The strain must have completely unhinged it. Only the probe seemed unaffected. There was a squawk, and the doctor looked down at where the pigeon was trying to unwrap a discarded stick of chewing gum. Well, he corrected himself, relatively unaffected. If the crinoid gained the upper hand, he had less time than he thought. Ace headed off down a darkened corridor, and Joe scurried after her. ''Where are we going?'' he asked her. ''Other side of the house. I got a good look at it from the outside, and I think we've been walking in circles around one wing.'' Let's try the other one. They turned into another hallway, and Joe gripped her shoulder. Listen. There was a humming, mechanical and regular, coming from the end of the hall. That's the noise I heard. Right, now we're getting somewhere. The two of them crept towards the sound. The insistent throbbing was beginning to give Ace a headache. That's the one. Joe indicated a heavy oak door. The vibrating door swung inwards, creaking alarmingly. The noise was deafening. The walls were lined with coffin-like receptacles, each one holding a wizened ancient body. Tubes and cables snaked their way up the walls and across the ceiling to a huge complex of machinery that hung from the roof. Beneath the tangle of technology was a throne-like chair on a raised dais. Thin tubes wound from ceiling to chair, coiling around the figure that sat in it. Suddenly and completely, the noise stopped and the figure in the chair stood up. Joe stifled a scream as the eyes of the man raked across him, yellow and slitted, like a cat's. As he watched, they changed, becoming human now, dark, smouldering with malevolence. The man transferred his gaze to Ace and smiled. Joe clung to her arm. You know him? Ace nodded. I'd refer to him as that bearded git, but I think he prefers to be called the master. He walked around them in a slow circle. His eyes focused again on Joe. Report number seven. Still holding her arm, Ace felt Joe suddenly go rigid. He was staring straight ahead. I... There was a flicker of movement in Joe's eyes. He seemed confused. I don't know... Twice now your time anchor has failed. I must know why. There was a bird. A pigeon. A pigeon. It talked. It mentioned temporal anomalies. And then she turned up. With a little man. The master turned again to Ace. Look, mate, I'm as much in the dark as you seem to be. He thought for a moment. Yes, he murmured. Yes, I believe you. However, I can't believe the same is true of your meddling friend, the Doctor. He appeared to snap to a decision. Take her to the West Wing, he said to Joe. Restrain her. With you as my captive, the Doctor will have to reveal his hand soon enough. Joe swung around in front of her and grabbed her other arm. His grip was painful now as he dragged her towards the door. So this is a TARDIS, then? The quiet hum of the control room was punctuated by the insistent flapping of the pigeon's wings as it circled the Doctor. Will you be quiet? the Doctor snapped. I'm trying to locate the other time anchor.
1: Why didn't you say so? I can tell you that. I sent your friend there, didn't I?
0: It flapped over to the console and began pecking with breathless speed at a row of buttons. The Doctor initiated the dematerialization sequence. Joe! Joe, you've got to listen to me, said Ace. They were locked in a small wood-panelled room. The Master is controlling your mind, but why? Dr Chithros, said Joe. He... I... What did you call him? Ace asked. I am number seven... My function is to carry out the Chithros programme. Listen to me. You don't belong here. Your name is Joe. You live in a flat in Croydon, remember? Suddenly Joe's breathing sounded strained and irregular. Memories struggled to surface. His expression seemed to clear. Then he crumpled with sudden pain. Ace vaulted over Joe's slumped form, wrenched the door open and bounded through. She ran for what seemed like forever. Then the sound of the TARDIS materialising stopped her. She swung around to see the familiar blue box wheezing into corporeal existence at the corridor's end. She ran forward as the door opened, and the Doctor emerged, straightening his battered hat, the pigeon flapping excitedly round his head. Doctor, Ace called, ignoring the bird. What the hell's going on? Ah, said the Doctor, "'I was rather hoping you could tell me that.' "'An old lady shuffled past, "'inching her way along the corridor on a walking frame. "'The doctor raised his hat, a puzzled look on his face. "'The old dear didn't seem to notice him or Ace. "'The master's here,' said Ace. "'The doctor's face was suddenly grave. "'He flapped irritably at the bird with his hat "'as Ace explained what had happened to her and Joe.' The pigeon had pushed open a door behind them. Inside the softly lit room were cots attached to the walls, a baby in each. A drip-feed tube was attached to each tiny figure. The doctor stepped through and walked across to the nearest infant. Sleeping, he murmured. Yes, but it's drugged, surely? Ace motioned to the pipe, which snaked into the baby's arm. The doctor examined the tube, testing its contents with his fingers and lips. Nutrients, the doctor said. The sort of thing you'd find in human milk, I suspect. We're 80 years ahead of your time, Ace. This is the way babies are fed. There's probably a mild sedative in there, but it's not harmful. But why would the master be running a creche? Or an old people's home, for that matter. I don't know, Ace, and it worries me. They moved further through the dark passageways. This is it, Professor. She pushed open the vibrating door to the room full of coffins. The doctor scuttled from one ancient body to another. They're barely alive, he muttered to himself. There's nothing I can do for them. His eyes narrowed. This is obscene. Totting to himself, he let his eyes follow the tubes and wires which cascaded down from the ceiling to the back of the throne, now empty, which sat at the room's centre. Typical of the master, he said. A grandiose design for a filthy machine. He's draining off certain vital fluids, enzymes, proteins, that sort of thing, from these poor people. Presumably he's then feeding them to himself. He's ill. Doctor, his eyes, they were different for a while. You know how he was on the cheetah people's planet? The doctor remembered it well. The master had become little more than an animal. Yes, that would explain it. He's still infected by the cheetah virus. Presumably it's at quite an advanced stage now. The old people out there must be helping to keep it in check. But what about the babies? I don't know, Ace. His voice was strained. I just don't know. Well, look what we've got here, the pigeon cut in. The great granddaddy of them all. The bird was flapping around a huge black machine like a cylinder, narrower at the top than the bottom, which filled one of the room's corners. The doctor moved across to examine it. "'What's Tweety Pie on about?' asked Ace. "'It's a time anchor, Ace. "'There's a much smaller one in our friend's flat in Croydon. "'This seems to be a central relay point for a large number of anchors. "'What is he up to?' The door creaked open. The Doctor and Ace spun around. Joe stood, a little unsteadily, in the doorway. The Doctor scurried across the room, his hand extended. ''It's Joe, isn't it? I'm the Doctor. I'm afraid we're all caught up in a rather tricky situation.'' He turned to Ace. ''And there's another problem,'' he said. ''An alien vegetable thing called a crinoid. The master's not the only one fighting an infection.'' ''What?'' Sometimes the doctor made no sense at all to Ace. The question is, how do I deal with both? He began rummaging around in the capacious pockets of his jacket. I think, he muttered, I think I'd better try to bring all of our problems under one roof. He pulled out an old pocket watch and then a second identical one. Ace, I'm going to have to ask you and Joe to do something rather dangerous. Ten minutes later, the doctor was crouched between two of the coffins. The pigeon sat on his knee, with the doctor's hand firmly clamped over its beak. The door opened, and a figure entered. The doctor smiled grimly. The master. He watched his old adversary making adjustments to the time anchor. It began emitting a high-pitched, barely audible tone. The air in front of it seemed to shimmer, and a woman faded in from nowhere. She was middle-aged, typically British, late 20th century in dress and appearance. Her manner was quite at odds with her appearance. She stared ahead of her, out of wide, blank eyes. In her arms she held a baby. She stood motionless where she had appeared. Carry on, number 12, the master purred. Without looking at him, the woman carried the baby to the door and out of the room. The master crossed to his throne-like seat and keyed in something on a control panel. The doctor felt the coffins on either side of him begin to hum and vibrate lightly. Time for your medicine, is it? said the doctor, rising to his feet and stepping into the room. The master seemed to pause slightly before turning to face his old enemy, a warm smile beneath his dark beard. What are you doing here? asked the doctor acidly. "'Enjoying my retirement?' the Master offered, hopefully. "'Like the poor souls in those coffins,' the Doctor spat. "'Is that what they thought they were coming here for, a quiet retirement?' "'The Master laughed genially. "'I've received no complaints, Doctor. "'Quite the contrary. I have a waiting list of several hundred people. "'They're clamouring to get in here. "'To be fed into that thing,' countered the Doctor." To be granted the wish of every man and woman, Doctor. To be given a fresh start. People fear death. They come here old, and I make them young again. That's preposterous, said the Doctor. Even we Time Lords can't reverse the effects of ageing. And yet they leave here as babes in arms, Doctor. Ready to live their lives again. The most sophisticated DNA testing bears me out. "'This is more despicable than I thought,' said the Doctor. "'You're kidnapping them as babies "'and bringing them forward in time to cover "'for the fact that you're murdering them as old people. "'I'm providing a practical solution "'to the problems of the modern age. "'I'm giving hope to the hopeless.' "'I'll have to stop you, of course,' said the Doctor. "'Of course,' smiled the Master. "'But when the Doctor slipped into the futuristic throne, "'he tensed. "'Get out of there, Doctor.' "'The doctor began tinkering with the seat's controls. "'Doctor?' "'He swung suddenly away from the little Time Lord. "'He was breathing fast. "'One thing you should know about my affliction,' he said, "'every day it becomes harder to combat, more difficult to control. "'The feral instinct becomes irresistible in times of stress.' He swung back to face the doctor, his eyes blazing with feline malice. "'And you know how stressful my life is, doctor!' He sprang at the doctor, his smile vicious now, saliva dripping from the corners of his mouth. His teeth were like needles. He swiped at the doctor with a paw, smacking him into the wall. Another blow followed instantly, sending him reeling across the room and into the wall. "'He's playing with me,' thought the doctor, like a cat.' playing with a mouse. Perched on the edge of one of the coffins in which the old people lay so near to death, the pigeon hopped from leg to leg, flapping its wings occasionally. Keep your guard up, it piped to the doctor. Give him the old one-two. The doctor shot the Virgoan in a lightning glance. Its mental state seemed to be getting worse. He fingered his pocket watch. He only hoped the pigeon would know what to do when the time came, and that he'd bought Ace and Joe enough time. Look, we've got to get a move on, Ace said, studying the pocket watch. Fifteen minutes, the doctor said. We've got to get to the park. I don't understand any of this, Joe moaned. It's quite simple. We've got to get to the park and find this overgrown Brussels sprout. The professor reckons maybe he can use the master's equipment to separate it from the symbiote ship. And we've got to get it back there. In other words, we've got to get hold of it or rather you have, at the exact time when the Doctor triggers the time anchor to pull you back into the future. Simple. Are you thick or what? Soon they reached the park. There, across the rolling lawn, was the dark, dense clump of trees, which appeared to be wrestling with itself. That had to be the crinoid thing. Come on! Gingerly, Ace approached the edge of the trees. Through the tangle of trunks and branches, she could see a denser mass. Every so often, bright, metallic, almost crystalline spores would break through the green like an infestation before another green wave broke. She picked her way through the mass of trees and bushes which crowded around the thing, bending towards it, their branches hugging and merging with it. Joe was close behind. She drew the watch from her pocket. Less than a minute to go. Suddenly a thick wall of bark and leaves pressed against her back. The whole grove seemed to be contracting. Suddenly there was nowhere to go. The doctor was making his way on all fours between the coffins. He was exhausted and he was bleeding. The master, what was left of the master, was patiently waiting for his prey to break cover There was no time left. He had to act now, for Ace, for Joe. He had got as close as he could to the time anchor. The master had stalked him all the way. Everything was up to the bird. Now! he yelled.
1: What? Oh, right you are, boss!
0: It rose from its perch in a flurry of feathers and circled the room twice, at speed, before settling on the arm of the master's chair. Its feet danced over the chair's control pad. Lights flickered and the machine started to buzz alarmingly. With an angry hiss, the master turned and loped across to his throne. His clawed hands were clumsy on the controls. The pigeon rose into the air. Perfect. The doctor rolled from under the coffin and ran across to the time anchor. There was no time for subtlety. He began frantically pressing buttons, maximum spread, maximum power, and the machine hummed into life. Behind him, he heard the master growl. As the foliage closed in, Ace and Joe tumbled backwards, tripping over tree roots, falling headlong into the belly of the alien machine and its plant parasite. There was a sharp crack, and a blinding, dizzying light. The air in the room started to shimmer and warp. His plan was working. People, the agents the master had sent back in time to steal the babies, were beginning to appear in the room. A portly man in a business suit. A policewoman. They stared about them in confusion. Half a dozen. More. They kept on appearing. The master stared at them, a look of fury twisting his now barely human features. A deep rumbling, a creaking cracking, the sound of splintering stone and rending metal cut across the confusion of the room. The entire outside wall of the lab buckled for a moment before exploding into fragments. In its place sat a seething mass of vegetable matter, entwined with flowing, crawling rivulets of metal. Green tentacles thrashed around it, smashing equipment. The duel between plant and machine creature raged on. The first thing Ace felt as the world spun sickeningly back into reality was a sharp pain in her back. She was lying entangled in a rosebush. Joe lay beneath her, and beside them the crinoid-Virgoan hybrid tore at itself. It had materialised halfway through the wall, which now lay in rubble about it. Maybe she could climb through. A bird was flapping around her head. The pigeon, covered in brick dust, circled her erratically. Where's the doctor? she bellowed at the bird. whack came the reply. The bird went into a dive and hit the ground beside her. She turned back to the house and its alien wrecking crew. She tried to pick her way towards the ruined wall, peering into the darkness of the lab beyond. Suddenly the ground at her feet split in two, and she felt herself falling, clawing at soil and rubble as the chasm swallowed her. She crashed to a halt on a bed of writhing roots and electrical cables. She flinched as they whipped past her head, knotting themselves around each other. If one of those cables broke... In the lab, everything was happening fast. Through the maelstrom, the master's mind seemed to be closing down, narrowing its focus to one thing, his old enemy. He launched himself through the air. The doctor tried to scurry for cover. A claw raked down his back, opening the cloth of his jacket, his jumper, his shirt, his skin like a razor. The Master crouched over the Doctor, his long back arched, his face edged up to the Doctor's own. There was nothing human left in that face. Wait! The Doctor talked fast. Think about this. Look at yourself. How much longer before the beast takes over for good? Every time it gets stronger, you told me that. Will this be the last time? The creature seemed to hesitate, Its breath was hot and rank on the doctor's face Its claws were inches from his throat I know how much you want me dead But think, is this what you've waited for for so long? This isn't revenge, it's just bestial If you kill me like a savage animal Maybe the real you will never get back Are you hearing me? Something other than mere bloodlust Flickered through the dark slits of its eyes Fight it! The doctor urged. With a snarl, it hurled itself back across the room, leaping over the crinoids' thrashing tentacles with ease, bounding into the chair which sat at the centre of the feed mechanism. Its claws skidded on the controls. The machine throbbed into life. Fluid links filled and emptied. The coffins vibrated lightly. The doctor closed his eyes. Those poor, doomed people... The master's chair was bathed in light. The doctor realised he had little time left. The battle raging between the two alien life forms was wrecking the lab. Coffins lay shattered, aged bodies spilling across the floor. Hypnotised men and women, yanked across eighty years, still shuffled about, dazed. The doctor saw a corpse in chauffeur's uniform engulfed in thrashing tendrils, and he turned away to the time anchor, taking in its complex operating mechanism. He began tentatively setting dials. Leave that alone, the master said levelly. In his hand was a gun, pointed at the doctor. There's no time for that. The crinoid's getting the upper hand. You know as well as I do what a crinoid infestation on earth would mean. It would destroy all of us. If I can reprogram this thing, I can blast it out of existence. Think, man! The master hesitated for a moment then put the gun inside his jacket. What are you trying to do? he said, stepping up to the machine. If I can reverse the... Yes, yes, the master said, punching buttons. They were working as one now, their rapid adjustments perfectly synchronised. Gradually, the battle in the lab began to ease off. There seemed nothing of the and symbiote left. Everything was green. The crinoid had won. Ready? the doctor said. Ready, came the Master's reply, powering up. Ace bounded into the room. What are you doing? she shouted. The Doctor closed his eyes briefly. Ace, he said. Not now. Take cover. But what are you going to do? Blast this thing into the time vortex. No, you mustn't. She inserted herself between the Doctor and the Master. You mustn't. Get out of the way, girl, the Master snapped, pushing her roughly. Now, Doctor. No!
1: Doctor!
0: A new voice, booming yet soothing, reverberated around the wrecked room.
1: We can assure you there is no need for that. We were ill. We are well again now.
0: Both Time Lords looked around in confusion. This wasn't the voice of a crinoid. Excuse me? said the Doctor, but who...
1: We are the Vergoan Mission. But... We adapted, Doctor, as all life has ultimately to adapt. To survive, we are a shape-shifting species, as you know, Doctor. We merely had to discover how to transform ourselves into vegetable matter. We are sorry that it took us so long.
0: So the crinoid is...
1: Absorbed, Doctor.
0: Digested. The Doctor was dumbstruck, ''You should see the pigeon,'' Ace grinned. ''Chattiest plant I ever met.'' As ever, nobody noticed the master's departure until it was too late. "He's too good at this sort of thing,'' said the doctor. ''We'll never catch him now.'' Besides, there were more important things to do. For a start, there's Joe, and the other people hypnotised to steal the babies to take care of. ''The master did a very thorough job.'' "'Implanted false memories, sent them 80 years into the past. "'They have to be deprogrammed, reaclimatized to life in this century.' "'He shook his head sadly. "'An awful lot of people have had a cruel trick played on them. "'The elderly victims of the master's dreadful process, for one, "'and their families. "'Many of them, I imagine, will already have taken babies from here, "'believing them to be their nearest and dearest. "'The kidnapped babies will have to go back, of course.' And someone will have to tell those families that their loved ones have been murdered. It won't be a pretty business, but... The doctor looked at Ace. However painful, the truth must come out. This is an age of insecurity. People fear their own mortality like never before. The master preyed on that. People are going to have to learn again to accept their own ageing and death. Change can never be halted. The future will take care of itself. Ace smiled slightly. Even without you to fix things when they go wrong. Even without me, the doctor said, smiling. Though perhaps not without the Voguans. They headed off to the TARDIS. Come on, let's get busy.